0: We don't lecture each other. Since escaping the Orthodox Christianity of my childhood, I've been keenly skeptical of a personal God, one who cares about me personally and hears my prayers, who might even intervene on my behalf. The notion always seemed to me infantile, absurd, a pathetic projection of human need or desperation. Now, each time I sit for centering prayer, I'm supposed to consent to God's presence and action in me. So I immediately contract an acute case of cognitive dissonance. Do I really believe in a God who takes a present and active interest in my sorry soul? If not, centering prayer makes me a hypocrite. If so, Well, I've got a lot of theological catching up to do. Fortunately I've got this six month sabbatical. (laughs) So I sign up for a weekend retreat at the Garrison Institute in New York State. The retreat is led by David Frenette, a centering prayer teacher who started out as a Buddhist. Traveling by train up the Hudson River, I find myself addressing God very tentatively. I don't know who you are, but I invite you in. When we arrived, David asked us to reflect upon a question. Who or what, he asks, is the ultimate mystery to you now? Note how deftly his question avoids the G word. And my answer is, Right now, God is a guest I'm inviting into my home, someone with whom I quarreled long ago. David invites us to choose a word or image to represent this ultimate mystery, and the word friend immediately comes to my mind, and it rocks my soul. What if God really could be my friend? A friend calls me to be my best but also delights in my pleasure and is patient with my shortcomings. What if the God I rejected as a child, jealous, vengeful, judgmental, wasn't God at all, but an imposter? What if God were actually tender, compassionate, infinitely forgiving. Returning from the retreat, I find myself standing in the religion aisle in Barnes & Noble on Fifth Avenue in New York City. I'm trying to decide whether to purchase The Return of the Prodigal Son by Henry Nouwen. Suddenly, over the PA, Johnny Cash is singing. And I came to believe in a power much higher than I. (laughs) I came to believe that I needed help to get by. In childlike faith I gave in and gave him a try. And I came to believe in a power much higher than I. Not particularly persuasive theologically, (laughs) but the timing (laughs) got my attention. I buy the book. (laughs) Reading the return of the prodigal son on the bus home to Boston, I'm startled to encounter in the opening pages a young Bob Massey. I've known Bob for years. He's an Episcopal priest, environmental advocate, and a big-picture thinker. Now I I feel like my friend Bob is helping guide me on my own prodigal return. There is a loving God, now and writes, waiting for me at the very center of my being. The blessing is there from the beginning, he writes. I have left it and keep on leaving it. But the Father is always looking for me with outstretched arms to receive me back and whisper again in my ear, You are my beloved. On you my favor rests. Now the Father language is difficult for me, but the beloved language makes me cry. As I reflect on a personal God, I realize that if God is infinite, then God could express in an infinite variety of ways, manifest and unmanifest, including personally. Maybe envisioning God as personal is the easiest way for us finite humans to engage with the infinite. Maybe it's the only way. Maybe God speaks our language because we cannot speak God's. Of course, I can be good without God, as Greg Epstein, the Harvard Humanist chaplain, reminds us. I was good without God for decades as an atheist-leaning agnostic. But I begin to wonder if I might be better with God. Stronger, more devoted, more determined, more patient, more loving, more faithful. Gandhi told his followers not to attempt ahimsa, nonviolent resistance, without faith. It's just too hard, he said. Religious faith sustained Darcy Day, Martin Luther King Jr., Mother Teresa. It made their work possible. When I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, would I not walk less fearfully with God? When the cop swings a club at my head, would not faith help me bear the blow? When my neighbor needs my help, even at great risk or ultimate sacrifice, would not God's love fortify me? And I think, maybe Pascal made the wrong wager. The French mathematician and philosopher famously fretted that if he bet against God's existence and lost the bet, his penalty would be eternal torment in hell. Well, as a universalist, I don't worry about hell. Maybe I should. There's the old one-liner, as surprised as a Unitarian in hell. (laughs) But I don't worry about hell. I got other things to worry about. So to me, the troubling prospect, if God exists, is not hell, but the prospect of a lifetime without God. God as friend, confident, conscience, sustainer, source of meaning. Now, observing myself clinically, psychologically, I might conclude that I'm simply resolving the uncomfortable cognitive dissonance raised by my daily practice of centering prayer, which posits a personal God. Because when action and belief collide, belief eventually surrenders but see that's 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 the left brain talking and the right brain the right brain says welcome home for a while I try talking with God and I I, I can't tell if the results are sublime or ridiculous. Good morning, God, I say experimentally. Good morning, Fred, comes the instant reply in my mind. Don't do that, I retort. Why not? Because it makes me feel silly. You're not silly. Oh boy, here we go. Later, I try again. Hello, God. Hello, Fred. I love you. I love you too. I'm scared. I know. I love you. I know. eventually I come to the conclusion that God's voice, at least in this kind of conversation, is just my own, pinging back at me reflexively from the vast silence. Throughout the spring I wrestle over and over again with questions of faith versus doubt, trying to make sense of reality and all its beauty and cruelty its complexity and paradox. Visiting my sister in California, I find my sleep roiling with unusually vivid dreams. I dream I'm at college again as crowds of new students arrive. Where is my room? I dream I witness a despot murder his many concubines. When I awake, I feel as though a fever has broken. For weeks, I've been stuck in duality. Is God real or not? Yes or no? Yes, God, or no God? And suddenly, I realize that I can rest. I have to rest in maybe God. I've been desperately, compulsively trying to figure it all out, trying to find a clear position to hold on to. And I can hold reality more lightly than that. I can live as if God is always here and now without needing to be absolutely convinced of it. Because the important question is not what I, is not whether what I believe in my head is true. The important question is where I give my heart. Not what I think, but how I live. That's the literal meaning of credo, to give one's heart. sitting down for centering prayer, I hear the words immediately, clearly in my mind, don't sweat it. And I weep. That's it, isn't it? Don't sweat it. Because I sweat everything, don't I? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Transparency in ministry is a, is a good thing. Always so anxious, I'll make a mistake, hurt somebody's feelings, not be loved. Always taking things so seriously. Angels can fly, said G.K. Chesterton, because they take themselves lightly. Don't sweat it. It's my new mantra. I still meditate daily using centering prayer, but instead of consenting to the presence and action of God, I now invite the presence and action of spirit, which seems to me more open, more encompassing, more accurate, and it avoids the obsolete image, tiresome image of an old white man with a beard which I will probably not ever get out of my head completely. (laughs) You were not created to know, writes United Methodist Pastor Steve Garness Holmes, not destined for certainty. You are created to search, groping in the light, reaching out through the thicket of your moments, wondering, Wanting more, hungering. In reaching out, you expand your world. In groping, you open yourself. In not knowing, you allow God to exceed all bounds. In searching, you stay alive. One of my new favorite places in Cambridge is the Alewife Stormwater Wetland and the Alewife Reservation. Completed last fall, the wetland treats stormwater runoff and reduces the risk of flooding. It's also an amazingly beautiful blend of nature and human design. Boardwalks traverse the marshland where you can see turtles, frogs, geese, ducks, I love to run there, and if I get there early enough in the morning, sometimes I sit on a bench on the boardwalk and meditate. During one meditation, after about 10 minutes, I, I open my eyes and I, I see something I've never noticed before. Now, maybe the light has changed or maybe I'm just noticing for the first time. But in the gaps, very narrow gaps between the planks of the boardwalk, I suddenly see the brilliant shimmer of the water below teeming with life. I thought I was sitting on a solid human-made structure, all straight lines and hard edges. Now I realize that just beneath me, just beyond ordinary sight, is a vibrating world of energy, motion, fecundity. Like the realm of spirit hiding in plain sight behind the realm of matter. After months of spiritual questing, I find myself returning to Einstein's declaration that there are only two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle. The other is as though everything is a miracle. I'll take the miracle. Amen. Ashe. And blessed be.